Thinking aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today we'll be exploring the experimental evidence for parapsychology. With me is Professor Etzel Cardenia, who is a professor of psychology in Lund University in Sweden. He is also the editor of the Journal of Parapsychology and recently, about a year ago, published an article in the American Psychologist, the flagship publication of the American Psychological Association, uh, which was a favorable review of the experimental evidence. And now, I'll switch over to the internet video. We're talking about uh, the number of experiments o overall uh, that were incorporated into your study, well over a thousand, as I recall. Thousand, yes. And uh, also we're talking about uh, a dozen or so different types of experimental paradigms uh, ranging from quantum mechanical random event generators to uh, remote viewing, all of them providing consistent evidence pointing in the same direction. Mm -hmm. Yes, and one of the things that I explain to people when they sometimes think that if they see uh, that a study does not replicate the finding, they assume that there is nothing to it, I just show them an analysis of other areas that are reasonable, expectable, that people assume don't happen. Uh, one of the ones I use, for instance, is to look at whether mindfulness, uh, the use, the practice of mindfulness, decreases the cortisol levels. Cortisol is related to stress. And I think mm -hmm. most people, lay people, expert people would assume, oh, yes, if you do mindfulness, you will become more calm. And of course, your cortisol levels will go down. And mm -hmm. I found a meta-analysis, not even looking for just almost randomly. And you find that some studies don't show any effect whatsoever, and a few do. And the overall meta-analysis shows a small effect. But that happens in all of psychology or in almost all of psychology. I would say simple perceptual phenomena, probably they are very robust. But one false assumption is that in psychology, we can have the same kind of predictability that we have in the hard sciences where you end up dealing with non-sentient objects. If you deal with mm -hmm. sentient beings, and so here I'm including non-human beings, then you get <laughs> things get a lot more interesting, get a lot more chaotic. You have many variables interacting with each other, interacting to you as an experimenter alongside with the quite a bit of randomness that could occur. So it should not be expectable that you are going to find some very strong effects unless you do something rather strange like Skinner did. I think B.F. Skinner was very successful partly because what he did was to say, well, we have predictable loss of behavior with animals, sometimes even with, with humans, and if we put it in a Skinner box or something, this is what they will do. They will end up pressing with their paw, 
the number of times depending with the kind of reinforcement schedule they have. That is true. That is the only thing they can do. If there is no other creature of uh, that they can play or bite or fight or procreate or do whatever else, that's what they do because they have nothing else to do. But if you put an, a non-human being and a non-human animal outside of a Skinner box in their actual environment, then things become a lot less predictable. What you're saying is is that the data of parapsychology, in terms of its overall strength, is is comparable to other perceptual studies with humans. Is is that correct? Not so much perceptual. Actually, I was saying perceptual psychology, very simple perception, can have robust effects. Mm-hmm. You know, the loss of whether you increase the intensity of a stimulus, how much that affects your experience. That is. You can quantify it very clearly. But when you get something more complex, the analysis of behavior, the analysis of who is going to do violent behavior, of how a person is going to react, things of that sort, more personality psychology, social psychology, clinical psychology, then the results are a lot more comparable. I see. Well, I know the statistician uh, Jessica Utz, former president of the American Statistical Association, uh, argues that the the data in favor of of the notion that taking aspirin helps reduce heart disease uh, is weaker than the uh, data for extrasensory perception. That is correct. Although aspirin recently has not have good press now, people whether aspirin is that good, but there are a number of other medications that you could use instead of aspirin that have the same size of effect and for which parapsychological phenomena could be shown to have stronger effects and be more reliable, far from completely reliable as far as being able to predict, but have about the same kind of effect sizes being as predictable as such phenomena. Yet, even though this data has been accumulating for decades, in fact, I think it's probably fair to say for well over a hundred years mm-hmm. at, at this point, uh, the resistance to accepting the data is, is still relatively high. Although I tend to think your article uh, potentially marks the beginning of a new era at least among psychologists. Let's hope. I um, uh, I am not as optimistic. At the same time, I would say that perhaps there is a bit of an opening. But the way I look at, at history, looking at big patterns, is that you get perhaps a bit more acceptance and then a bit less acceptance, and then that it goes cyclically. So you ended up having quite a bit of acceptance at the time of the Rhine era, the middle of the 20th century, then that was becoming fairly good. Then 80s or 90s were not good times for parapsychology. Then people thought, well, maybe there is nothing to it. And now I think the curve has turned and mm-hmm. there may be a bit more acceptance. Now, there are a number of reasons why this may be the case. Some, I think, far more acceptable than others. Uh, and, and I think one can also need to understand why some people may be reluctant to accept it. I think in one case, the one where I think some psychologists have a reason to be skeptical is that they have a history of knowing that sometimes extraordinary feats did not turn out to be 
the way that people thought they were going to be. So, for instance, in the case of Clever Hans, the horse that seemed to be able to do mathematics when Teal, I don't remember if it was Petzl or, or one researcher went to look at it, and it looked like what he was responding to was not to mathematical calculations, but to unobtrusive nonverbal behaviors of his owner. So psychology knows that sometimes things are exaggerated or that, that things turn out not to be, that they're very subtle nonverbal cues that may affect a person. So I think all of that is completely defensible, completely respectable, that mm -hmm. it is fine to think that one must look at a number of different possible explanations before one starts positing that there are side phenomena. But by the way, this is nothing new. I, I had previously, and I have mentioned repeatedly that when people say um, exceptional claims require exception, exceptional proof, that people assume, oh, this discards parapsychology. Well, no, this, that was a phrase that was coined by Marcello Truzzi, who was supposed to be a, a reasonable skeptic, but I think he was actually fairly much a defender of reasonable parapsychology of saying you cannot be dogmatically against it. And he resigned PSYCOP because he found out that instead of having a group of people who would just look at the data, clean, skeptical, meaning not having an a priori assumption and deal with it, they found that what he had was partisan, partisan hyper-partisan group of people who just wanted to destroy research in that sense. But, but you know, that was Trutzi, but I just recently found out that William James, I know you like William James, he's my favorite psychologist as well, uh, that William James had written exactly the same thing, that one should only entertain psi phenomena after discarding reasonable alternative explanations. Well, I think it's especially true because psychologists are, are very knowledgeable about all of the uh, forms of error and folly that human beings are susceptible to. Except their own. <laughs> Except their own. <Yeah. laughs> I, I wrote um, a review of a book, and you are interested, I can send it to you. And the title of the review was, Do As I say not as I do. <laughs> and it is a review of a book by people who are saying, well, a couple of authors who were saying, we are going to teach students to be critical thinkers. And just start with the book, and there are a number of principles that are very reasonable. You should always look at uh, the original research. You should look at more than one source of evidence. A number of things that I would say absolutely true. And then you get to their chapter on parapsychology and they don't follow any of the principles that they had described originally. And there they just give free rein to their prejudices and essentially say, well, this is irrational. This is uh, something that cannot be thought of as pursuable by honorable, decent scientists. So forget about it. And, and it is, you are seeing 
the blind spot on other people and you are not seeing this enormous you know, mask in front of you. And, and I would say that's something that pertains to all of us as researchers and as human beings. But there is something about academics, I think, that is particularly poisonous. And that is a level of arrogance that you don't find in other professions, or at least in most other professions. And that is a sense of, well, I'm an academic, so I'm more intelligent than others. And I can pass judgment on a number of things, even if it's not my area, even if I haven't read on it. I am really brighter than thou. And that's problematic. You know, I, usually what I think about, I have been, I love being an academic, but I do not think that we have anything special and that we are more intelligent. Certainly when I get the worker who comes to paint my home and he starts doing things, I realize what a stupid person I am to do a number of practical things, how much implicit and explicit knowledge he has and how bright he is because he's a particularly good worker. Uh, and But I do not think that most, let's say, manual workers tend to think that they are better than everybody else. But academics, eh? <laughs> we don't have much power, but we think we are smarter than, than everybody else. And so mm -hmm. we give free reign to whatever dislikes we have and just code them with mm -hmm. the notion that what we're doing is, of course, rational and the obvious thing to do. Well, recently, uh, the American psychologist, I gather, published a response to your article from uh, some skeptics, and, and basically they took the tact that they don't even need to look at the experimental evidence because they know in advance that all of this is impossible. Yes, correct. And, uh, and I wrote a response, a commentary to their paper, which I just found out two days ago or so, was rejected by the journal. Uh, and mostly my tag was to say, well, if you start with that notion, you're really going against a fundamental principle of science, which is you look at the evidence regardless of your a priori beliefs and expectations. If you already think you know what is and is not possible, you are not going to advance. And that is exactly the same stance that inquisitors and other people like that have had for centuries. They assumed, not talking about science, but talking about whichever religion it may be, that if you are dogmatic, you already know what it is. Now, that is problematic as a, a matter of, epi of epistemology. The second point, which is it makes it even worse, is that these two people, Rever and Jim Alcock, uh, Rever is not had published, as far as I know, anything before critical or parapsychology, but James Alcock had made most of his career just being a critical parapsychology. Uh, if you think what they are doing is that this is impossible because it goes against a number of principles in physics. Now, <laughs> they are not physicists. To, to just mention the obvious, they are not physicists. They do not have any advanced degree on it. I would distrust anyone who will come to me and say, well, um, 
I haven't done any research on neurology, but the operation that has been recommended for to release the the brain tumor you may have, I don't, I hope, but somebody can say, well, how do you know? How do you have studies in neurosurgery? No, I don't, but I know it is impossible. We would laugh at that. Uh, and this is something that they feel, they, they, in a sense, they have the nerve to assume that they can speak authoritatively on a field that is not theirs. Now, I did quote in my original paper physicists, but what I said is there are a number of eminent physicists who believe that there is the possibility or maybe even the likelihood that psi phenomena are acceptable. I did not say this is the last, the final word, because I'm not a physicist. And I think even if I were a physicist, I would not dare to do that. Probably, you know, you're a psychologist and in whatever area you're doing, I think the more I know about it, to quote to an extent Socrates, the less I, I know I, I know what I know. You know. The more you realize how many things you actually do not know, how complicated the matters are. And that is something that should be as well elementary and obvious. But somehow, in some way, the American psychologist in its wisdom, decided to publish a paper in which a couple of psychologists say, this is impossible, going against history of science in which we know that in the past many people had said the same, only to find out that a few years later somebody came up with something they consider impossible that changed the, the idea of science, that a couple of people would dare say that and about a field that they have no expertise on. You know, it, it seems to me understandable that Alcock and Reber would uh, make that claim, but what is really extraordinary is that they could get it published in a scientific, a refereed scientific journal. Uh, yes, it is. And, but I think there is a political reason behind this. First, I have to say, when I submitted my manuscript to the American psychologist, in a sense, it was like thinking... Yes, of course, they are not going to accept it. It is about side phenomena. I'm trying to be reasonable. I'm trying to give voice to what I would consider reasonable criticisms. I'm trying to address them. But of course, they're going to reject it right away. When they didn't, I was surprised. Then came uh, more than a year of process of going through revisions and trying to address what they wanted me to do without adding any more words. It was the most difficult review process of, I have published more than 300 papers. This was easily the most difficult one. But they published it, and I was very appreciative because I thought, this shows a lot of guts. They are, and one should not be even have to say it needs guts. One should say, if there is a good article, it should be published, regardless of what the conclusions are. But I said, in any case, realistically, that takes God's good that they did it. But I think that at the end, they somehow came to the notion that they had to give the other side, quote unquote, a voice. You know, the same kind of argument that I am an American citizen. 
uh, as you are, and you hear all the time that somebody in the politics in the United States can say whatever, and mm -hmm. then somebody criticizes, and you have to somehow listen, give another counter view, even though the counter view may not be reasonable or based on actual facts or anything like that. Uh, so I think I think that's what explains why their paper was published. Uh, but in a sense, I have written now a response to their paper where I said, well, in some ways, parapsychologists should celebrate their response because if this is what they have to report, the meta-analysis, if what they have is, I'm not going to look at the data, I'm really scared of it, I'm not going to look at this, it's impossible, and I won't say why it is, except I will talk about physics that I do not know anything about because it's not my area. If that is what they come up with, well, then the emperor is less than naked. I have to agree with you there. I think that any yeah, objective person looking at it in terms of scientific methodology would have to conclude that th this is the weakest of all possible rebuttals. Yes, yes. It is in a sense you have already given up on the fight before having it. Now, they may believe that they are being really smart by using a, they talk about using a rhetorical device, but Yeah, you use rhetoric when you do not have actual facts. In effect, that's what these particular uh, skeptics have been doing for a long time. I, I've often thought their major weapon is the horse laugh. That, you know, when a researcher comes up with data, they just want to laugh them uh, out of existence. Yes, and you are right. And some of them are very aggressive and they make fun and ridicule researchers. And I think, in a sense, what parapsychologists have not been as good at doing is to do something what, like what they do, but with what the data say. So at having a repeated message, for example, to say, yes, these are not phenomena that are unusual. We know that the majority of people in surveys all over the world report this phenomena. Yes, This is not something reported by people with mental health issues. This is reported by people all over the world, including very bright scientists and more than almost 30 Nobel Prize winners. Yes, this is something that is happening all the time and repeated and repeated and repeated. And in a sense, as much as possible, disregard what the critics are saying, sort of to come up with a counter narrative. Because the narrative is there. It is ridiculed. It is saying this is impossible. Uh, this is just um, superstition and so on. That is well established. They, they're not going to change. We're not going to change. I don't think there is anything that any of us could do to have an, an alcock change his mind. That is not going to happen. So forget about speaking to him and speak to the more general group of scientists who are open to it and talk about the strengths and weaknesses. One should also speak about the weaknesses and the ways in which some people who speak about parapsychology are harming it. Because the way I see it, the dogmatics who say this is impossible are wrong, are wrong in the sense that reality is a lot more complex. There is no one who knows everything, how it works. 
unless there's a god or goddess and I haven't met him or her. <laughs> no. And even if there's a god in each one of us of that, well, let me see if I can find it anywhere. But that's not how it works. I think there is no one who can say that. Yet there is a group that believes that. And on the other hand, there are dogmatics who say, we know how it works. We know how parapsychology is about. And uh, we have very strong principles so that we know. And here I'm going to, to I'm sure, uh, lose some members of your audience. There are some people who may say, well, there is the secret. And if you, for instance, want something, just if you must want it strong enough, it is going to happen. And when you oversimplify matters, you people can laugh at you and people should laugh at you. Because when I have some kind of argument like that, and I have a people I, I, I have loved who have said similar things, I say, how can you say that you are somehow creating your reality and you are responsible for it in the overall sense when we have children nowadays, babies dying of thirst, of hunger, being massacred, being raped, being killed. Do they, did they choose that reality? Was there something wrong in their karma? I don't see it at, at that. And that is also, I think, something that needs to be avoided. Mostly what we have in the research is these things happen, psi phenomena happen. They are very difficult to control. And when we put them, when we restrain them, when we straightjacket them in a lab, what we have are small effects, not more than that. Every so often you may have reports like St. Joseph of Cupertino, D.D. Hume, and so on, but those are ones every, every century. Most things are just very uncontrollable and small effects, and I think that is what is real neither one extreme nor the other. It seems to me that many of these skeptics, what they're really concerned about is what they call the rising tide of superstition, that they look out at society and they see a lot of irrationality, and, and they assume that, that parapsychology is somehow fueling this irrationality. And, and you're suggesting, that, yes, that may be true to a certain extent, that there's an element of the population that takes uh, what they hear in popular media about parapsychology and, and they run with it uh, to such an extreme that uh, it's distorted. Yes, that is true, but I would say that is very much the minority of people who do parapsychology. I think most people that I know who are doing work are self-critical, critical of others. They are responsible. There is always a risk but I would say the same thing occurs with, for example, medicine or psychotherapy. You will find out that there are physicians, therapists, engineers who know what, know what they are doing. And then there are some individuals who either wittingly or not end up exaggerating or doing things that are not defensible. So that happens. But one needs to distinguish between that and people who are doing their job well. And I would say that the majority of parapsychologists are doing things carefully and they're doing it well. And there is a minority who are exaggerating. But in a sense, those people in the extreme, the dogmatics of this is impossible and the dogmatics of, yes, I know exactly how it works, <laughs> are one and the same. Uh, <laughs> yes. 
I mean, you know, my posture is uh, I use people like Anton Chekhov and some of those writers who basically say, well, anybody who thinks they know everything is just a charlatan or an idiot because <laughs> because we don't. And as you grow up and as you even become more expert on whichever area you're doing, you find out that you really have greater mysteries that you understand a bit more and at the same time understand how much you do not understand. So that if you look at Pascal's spheres of ignorance, your knowledge increases the same way that your awareness of how much you do not know increases. Well, Ansel Cardenia, thank you so much for uh, this overview. I think your work is very important. And uh, uh, at this point, I think uh, maybe the best thing to say is, is that the, the data unequivocally establishes that uh, something's going on and, and we have to continue to research to understand better what it is and uh, how to make the best use of it, if at all. Absolutely. A secular amen to that.